Acts 19, verses 1 through 7, these are God's words. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. And he went in, sorry, thus ends this reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. We rejoice to look to him in dependence upon his spirit to bless to us now the preaching of it. Please be seated. So last week we saw that although Apollos had previously known uh, much about uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is uh, uh, the Messiah, that he was the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised prophet, priest, and king, and much about the way of the Lord, the right way to live as someone who listens to the prophet and worships through the priest and is a subject of the king. Yet he needed to be more accurately instructed, not merely in the way of the Lord, uh, verse 25 uh, of Acts 18, uh, but in the way of God, uh, verse 26. The difference being uh, that Jesus Christ is not only prophet, priest, and king, but is God himself, uh, that God is triune, uh, and that he has sent his son, that the son became flesh uh, in order to be born under the law, in order uh, to obey in our place and die uh, in our place. Uh, and that he, having risen from the dead and ascended into heaven, has poured out his Holy Spirit. Uh, and having been instructed in the way of God more accurately, we heard last week that when he went to Corinth, he was able to co conduct himself with a ministry that is similar to the ministry of the Apostle Paul, vigorously refuting the Jews publicly, showing from the Scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Uh, and that this is similar to uh, what Paul did when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia uh, in verse 5, uh, and he was compelled by the Spirit, uh, similar to Apollos being fervent in spirit, uh, and testifying to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Uh, and this language, of course, being language that implies that Jesus is God who became man to be Christ, because we read and heard in verse 6 that when the Jews there opposed him, uh, and uh, they opposed him and blasphemed. Uh, that is, they rejected the idea that Jesus is God. Uh, and so uh, Apollos is at Corinth and Paul is traveling from Antioch and uh, he's traveling through 
the region to the part of Asia Minor where Apollos had been. And he is going to end up in Ephesus. Uh, he ends up in Ephesus and he finds some disciples. Now, we are going to find out a little bit more of the difference between early Apollos and later Apollos. Because what ends up being uh, the center of Paul's interaction with these disciples is that they have only heard of John's baptism. Uh, so in verse 3, when he says, and what, and what then were you baptized? They say, into John's baptism. Uh, now this is a clue to us that they are in the same place that Apollos was when he first began teaching in Ephesus. Uh, in fact, it is likely that they were instructed under his ministry. Uh, he had been taught accurately uh, the way of the Lord, chapter 18 and verse 25, and he spoke and taught accurately of the Lord. So as far as it went, the things that he had said uh, about Jesus uh, were accurate, verse 25, but he had only known the baptism of John. So now you have disciples who think that they are disciples of the Christ. Now, John, remember, said that he was not uh, the one to come, uh, but that there was one coming after him. Uh, and so they are identifying as disciples of, of Christ, uh, although they only know and have the baptism of John. They were baptized into the baptism of John. Uh, and what we see then uh, flushed out in more detail here, although it was there, uh, and uh, since we only preached half of the sermon last week, or we only heard half of the sermon last week, uh, we heard, uh, as it were, the uh, the more difficult uh, half, or the uh, the half in which the, the things are there in the text, uh, but they take some work, uh, uh, more work getting at than they do in the seven verses before us. And so uh, if you uh, were reading and wondering, uh, how do we see that those are the differences between uh, Apoll you know, early Apollos and later Apollos and uh, in what ended up being last week's sermon or the first part uh, of this uh, two-part sermon, uh, uh, then perhaps you will be much helped as we go the, through these seven verses. Although there were those things uh, in the passage, the, uh, the difference between the way of the Lord and the way of God, the connection uh, of verse uh, 28 uh, and his fervency of spirit in verse 25 back to the Apostle Paul in verse 5 and their blasphemy in, in verse 6 and so forth. Uh, but what we find as we look at uh, what they have to learn from and grow in by the ministry of the Apostle Paul in these uh, seven verses uh, is that Christ's baptism really teaches uh, an entirely new religion uh, uh, as, uh, as far as where repentance comes from. Uh, yes, uh, repentance is required. God is holy. When the Christ comes, the people must repent. Uh, but the, the thing that God shows and proclaims uh, through Christ and through baptism is that Christ himself is God who gives his spirit who is God so that we may be able to repent. Uh, and that Christianity, yes, being a religion of repentance is not merely a religion of repentance, 
but a religion of repentance that proceeds from faith, repentance that is a gift from God, repentance that his spirit produces in us. Uh, And therefore, uh, when we find our repentance imperfect, we are driven back to Christ because he is our righteousness and he is our sacrifice, but he is also our life for repenting. And he has given, he has poured out his spirit to give us from him the life that we need in order that we may keep all the things that he commanded. He has given us his spirit by whom he is with us always, even to the end of the age. So the first thing we find here as they are uh, missing uh, the idea of the Holy Spirit is that it's not just an idea that they're missing. Uh, we should we should pay attention to the fact that Paul had to ask them. He meets some disciples, verse 1. But then he says to them, having met them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now this is something that, that is... Uh, a little bit insulting. He's not asking them, uh, are, uh, are you guys the exception to Romans 8? Do I have to rewrite? Uh, or will I have to rewrite part of Romans 8, which says uh, that if someone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You know, there are some who uh, who teach this er- erroneous idea that you can uh, be brought to saving faith uh, and that you get the Holy Spirit as some kind of second work later. Uh, the, the, there are believers in Jesus Christ who don't have the Holy Spirit yet. No, Paul is, is not uh, here uh, wondering if they are believers in Jesus Christ who do not have the Holy Spirit. Rather, it is not immediately obvious that they are genuinely believers in Jesus Christ. It's sad to say that that may be the case with some of us. That someone might meet us and we might uh, have some conversation enough for them to know that we uh, identify as Christians. And yet our hearts are not full of delight in Jesus and dependence upon him. Our lips are not full of the truth about Jesus and Uh, as being the one in whom the triune God has not only made himself known, but brought us near, putting away our sin. We may not have love or joy or peace that is immediately apparent. And apart from that fruit, apart from the praise and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is what the Holy Spirit is always doing, displaying God in Christ and bringing praise to the Son who has poured him out, someone might wonder, did that person receive the Holy Spirit when he, and now you can do what they didn't have because they didn't have quotation marks, but um, what many people do, you can give the air quotes. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed you see it's still the case today isn't it that not all those who profess to be christian are christian not all those who are in the church are full of the truth of the spirit about the lord jesus christ 
who he is and what he has done, or the fruit of the Spirit. Because those who know the love of God in, the, in Christ Jesus, God having demonstrated his own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, and especially that love which the Holy Spirit pours out in our hearts, sheds abroad in our hearts, like we've been hearing in the midweek sermon uh, sermons in uh, Romans chapter 5, so that we say, behold, what manner of love the Father has shown to us that we would be called the children of God. And it is especially the Holy Spirit who teaches us to call him Father, isn't it? It's especially the Holy Spirit who makes us to see the love of God. And we love him because he first loved us. And we know ourselves not merely as those who must repent much, although that is true. But we know ourselves as those who have been forgiven much. And it is the Spirit who convinces us and convicts us about our sin and our unrighteousness in the midst of having been forgiven of that sin and unrighteousness that produces that repeated realization, oh, how much I have been forgiven. Uh, is the Spirit then who shows us that we have been forgiven much so that we love much is the Spirit who produces in us the joy of the Lord Jesus, the Spirit who has given us the words of Jesus on the pages of Scripture and convinced our hearts that they are the words of Jesus as we read them and we hear them. And what does Jesus say about why he speaks his words to us? He, is, he says, I've spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you. And this is so the Spirit produces love and the Spirit produces joy and the Spirit produces peace and patience and so forth in us. But the apostle has to ask them, there is a Spirit-given life that is often missing from people, even who have, to whatever extent they speak it, accurate doctrine and upright behavior. You see, they may be like, they may have their deficiencies. We actually think perhaps that Apollos was converted. Uh, we remember last week, I hope, that uh, often the truth of what God has done in us is more uh, is accurate despite the fact that we don't accurately know or, extend, or know to that extent the truth of what he has done in, the, in us. Many of you have experienced this. You were converted for a long time. Uh, before you came to be reformed. And the fervency in spirit that we see in verse 25 uh, may actually, of last chapter, may actually be an indication that Apollos had been converted. And maybe these men are. But there's not obvious evidence. And so the Holy Spirit has to ask, or the Apostle has to ask, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, and they said to him, we have not so much as heard that there is, or whether there is, a Holy Spirit. You see, they may have known uh, that there is a Holy Spirit, but perhaps they did not know that the Holy Spirit uh, was at work on earth, that the Holy Spirit had been poured out 
that one may know God, the Holy Spirit, as a person with whom we have fellowship and in whom we have our life. Or perhaps there is such a gap in their knowledge that they don't even know that God is triune. And so we consider in the second place that Christian baptism is all about what Christ does by his spirit. Notice what the apostle, how the apostle responds to this. They said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And verse 3, the question is not so much uh, incredulous or despising as it is amazed. He said to them, into what then were you baptized? Now, those of you who have attended on on a number of Christian baptisms in your life, you probably are familiar with what is said at every genuine Christian baptism. Baptize you in the name, singular, of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. How can you not know that the Holy Spirit is one of the persons of the triune God? When the name by which Jesus says you are baptized into him, by which you are baptized into his church, the name is the name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But it may be more than that. It may be. How is it possible that you guys are repenting? You can't repent except by the Holy Spirit. How do you deal with your unbelief? You remember that the 11, when uh, in Matthew 28, right before the Lord Jesus spoke the words that we call the Great Commission, they were bowing before him, but it says of the 11 there that some of them were doubting. The Lord Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. And he tells them to go into all the nations and make disciples. He doesn't say, you know, once your doubts uh, are better, uh, because some of you are doubting, he doesn't, uh, he uh, tells them, among whom some are still doubting, that they are to go into all, uh, going into all the nations, they are to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So that's one way that God uh, makes disciples, or one means by which, one instrument that he uses, the Lord Jesus, in making disciples and teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. How can you learn? How can you obey? How can you trust? How can you hope? How can you repent? If you don't know that Jesus is with you by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, then you must be miserable, frustrated Christians. Air quotes again on Christians. But I wonder if any of us, even those who do have this theology stored away somewhere in the organization of our minds are often miserable, 
frustrated Christians. Because it is not the substance of our walking before God that we walk in fellowship with Jesus Christ by the ministry of his spirit whom he has poured out, who communicates to us the presence and help of the Lord Jesus with us always, even to the end of the age, who gives us every blessing that is in Christ so that we are able not only to understand him and uh, and to see and uh, to recognize his voice in his word, but also to respond with hearts that receive his word as his and keep all that he has commanded because he is the one who commanded it and because he is the one who sustains us in our walking with him. In other words, there really can't be such a thing as a disciple except by the continual work of God the Holy Spirit ministering to us the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what the Lord Jesus teaches us in our baptisms by commanding that we would be baptized into the name of the Father of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And so he moves from wondering, uh, not seeing fruit of the Spirit, to hearing that they don't even know that that's what the Christian life is like. And then he asks them, of course, into what then were you baptized And they say, into John's baptism. And here we have one of those Philip with the the, uh, Ethiopian eunuch sorts of situations, right? They know something. They know the ministry of John, the cousin of Jesus, the baptizer. And uh, just as... uh, Philip starts from that text in Isaiah that the Ethiopian was reading uh, and he uh, preaches Christ to him from there. John's a good place to start. Oh, you know John's baptism, do you? And Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. You see, John had baptized with water that said you must repent. The problem is, if you've only been baptized with water and you haven't been baptized with the Holy Spirit, you can't repent. And so John, as he's baptizing with water, he's telling them, my ministry can't do for you what you need done for you. So uh, it may be helpful for us then to trace baptism from John to Jesus. So Matthew 3.11, I think in your copies of the outline, I gave you all these references. Yes, I did. Matthew 3.11. Uh, let's you know, let's uh, go back one verse. 
He says, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So John comes and he's saying, repent for the kingdom uh, of heaven is at hand. Uh, And these men believe that Jesus is the promised king. The kingdom of heaven is here. What do you do when the kingdom of heaven is here? Well, you turn from your sin. Because you want to be led by the king and on the king's side, not slaughtered by the king as he destroys his enemies. And so the kingdom of heaven being at hand is necessi- brings the necessity of repentance. Okay, now, Matthew 3.10, Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees, therefore every tree which does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor, gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And so either Jesus pours His Holy Spirit out on you, which cleanses you as with fire, or you will be cast into fire. This is why when you say, well, we're saved by faith, not by repentance. Well, you're justified only through faith. But no one's ever justified without repentance. Because the Jesus into whom you believe gives repentance. This is great news for the one who knows that he has to repent but can't and knows that he can't. The one in whom I trust, the one who atones for sin, the one who is the only righteousness that we can have counted before God also gives by his spirit, not just faith, but even repentance. And his spirit who convinces me to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins, to believe in Jesus as my only righteousness before God, he also cleanses me from my sin and sustains me in keeping all that Jesus has commanded. The spirit makes me recognize Jesus's voice in Jesus's word and gives me a heart that wants to obey Jesus. And so John's baptism didn't say, if you receive this baptism and do what I say, you are saved. John's baptism said, there's another baptism that you need. I'm just baptizing with water. Jesus is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. My baptism says you need repentance. Jesus' baptism says he gives repentance we see this in the other what we call synoptic gospels because they uh, have very similar overlapping um, presentations uh, of the gospel mark 1 verse 8 i indeed baptize you with water but he will baptize you with the holy spirit luke 3 verse 16 This is, we'll back up to verse 15. Remember, Luke is the first volume of which Acts is the second. Now as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, 
John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So there's this expectation, and several of these apostles uh, in Matthew 28, several of, uh, of these apostles are uh, were originally disciples of John. But a proper disciple of John, as soon as Jesus is identified, leaves John and goes to Jesus. And so they had expected that Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit. What they perhaps had not expected was that Jesus, who baptizes from heaven by his Holy Spirit, who pours out his Holy Spirit from heaven, was going to command them to baptize on earth. That there is another water baptism. Not now the water baptism of John that says you must repent, but the water baptism that is in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So that if you run into someone who doesn't know that there's a Holy Spirit and doesn't know that the Holy Spirit is how you come to faith and doesn't know that the Holy Spirit is how you come to repentance and doesn't know that the Holy Spirit is the one who convinces your heart that Jesus's commandments are his and moves your heart to obey those commandments by dependence upon Jesus who is always with you, if you don't know those things, then you don't have Christian water baptism. So there is another water baptism, which is uh, a bit of, uh, not maybe a, a surprise, that might be too strong of the word, uh, but a development upon what they had been expecting up until this point. Because the John's baptism and Christ's baptism, uh, at least until the Great Commission, is the material that's used, isn't it? He's not saying, I baptize with water. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit. That was the distinction that, uh, that John had drawn. But Jesus commands a water baptism on earth. And he commands a water baptism on earth that imitates his spirit baptism from heaven. Acts chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus is... Uh, commanding them, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when the Spirit comes, uh, less than a, uh, a week later, in chapter 2, verse 1, uh, verses 1 through 4, they know what has happened. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Where did the Spirit come from, children? What had Jesus said? He is the one who pours out the Holy Spirit. So as the, the, uh, the visual of fire uh, rests upon them, 
when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they would remember Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is the one who has poured this out from the right hand of God. But remember back to what John the baptizer had said about repentance. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And those who accepted this truth that the kingdom of God is at hand and this reality that they needed to repent of their sins so that they're not destroyed as, as God's enemies when the king comes, they had been baptized into the baptism of John, a, a baptism of repentance. But what about those who need to repent? What about those who find out not only that the kingdom has come because the king has come, but they have killed the king. They have murdered the Christ. And that's later in the chapter, isn't it? Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized into the name of Christ, of Jesus Christ. Which I think it might be upon the name. It's just in, uh, in verse 38. And I, I don't remember if it's epi or ace. You know, one of you who have uh, those things in front of you will know. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See what he's saying? He's saying... I can't give you repentance. You can't give you repentance. Jesus gives repentance. He says, repent and be baptized. Not now with the baptism of John that says you need repentance, but with the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ that says He is God made flesh not only to die for our sins and rise again from the dead, but who having ascended to heaven and sit taken his seat at the right hand of the majesty on high, from there gives his spirit. And his spirit gives us faith in him. And his spirit gives us repentance from our sins and repentance towards God. And isn't that what we've seen? You know, the re rejoicing that, uh, uh, that God has granted unto the Gentiles repentance unto life. That repentance unto life is a gift from God, a gift by the Son, a gift from the Son by His Spirit. We see that in chapter 10, don't we? Remember, not too long ago, Peter is uh, preaching about Jesus Verse 43, to him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. Now, the question of whether or not Peter is going to end up baptizing these people with water has just been answered. Why? Because the primary Christian baptism is not the water baptism. The application of water baptism is a sign of the primary Christian baptism, the great Christian baptism, which is Jesus' 
pouring his Holy Spirit on a man or a woman or a boy or a girl or an unborn child in the womb whom God has set apart to himself and is going to be miscarried in the providence and wisdom and decree of God whom God can bring to faith by the work of his spirit. He doesn't need our help. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision who had who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Right? There's there's the immediate evidence here. They don't have time to see how much their lives have been changed. But God gives the immediate evidence like he had at Pentecost and like he does in our passage this morning, this afternoon now. Then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water? Can anyone forbid that water should be brought and poured? That these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Again, this baptism into the name of the Lord Jesus in our, uh, in our passage today doesn't mean that it wasn't Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He, they would use the name that Jesus gave, but it was baptism into Jesus himself, into Jesus' church, and into dependence upon him and identification with him, who is unto us the revelation of the triune God, salvation from the triune God. And then Peter describing this when he uh, gets back to Jerusalem and uh, he's in hot water with some of them. Verse 15 of the next chapter, he's explaining what happened. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I, I remembered what he said to us when we were gathered together in Acts chapter 1. So that when the Spirit did come on the day of Pentecost, I knew it was Jesus who had poured the Spirit. He says, If therefore God gave them the same gift as He gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Jesus pours out his Spirit upon those who have been appointed to eternal life that they will repent and believe the gospel. That's Christian baptism. And so someone says, do you have to be baptized to be saved? And I say, absolutely but not necessarily with water. You have to be baptized with water to be obedient. But you have to be baptized with the Holy Spirit to be saved. You have to be given life from Jesus Christ to believe in him and to repent. And what that means is if you are trying to repent and you don't have it in you, say, what shall we do? 
What shall we do for ourselves? And what shall we do for our children? Of whom when we were in the midst of being complicit in and guilty of the execution of the Christ, and Pilate said that he was innocent of this man's blood, what had they said? His blood be upon us. That wasn't good enough for you know some really stirred up, fervent, hot-blooded Jews. His blood be upon us and our children. And God comes by His Holy Spirit using the mouth of the Apostle as He's convicted them of what they have done. And they, they are cut to the heart and they say, what shall we do? And the Apostle says, repent and be baptized for the promises for you and for your children. The promise that is shown in baptism in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit because you can't give yourself repentance. You can't give your children repentance. But you hope in the one who can that he gives it to you and that he will be the one who gives it to your children. So the baptism of John was a baptism of repentance, but it anticipated the pouring out of the Holy Spirit to give repentance unto life. And because repentance unto life had been granted by that baptism, Peter could not withstand God, as he said, and withhold the water of giving them the water baptism that was also commanded. It is as a picture of spirit baptism that Jesus gives from heaven that he has commanded Christian water baptism as the mark of his church and her members. Christian water baptism is a sign by which Jesus witnesses to us that the triune God alone saves. The Father purposes salvation, the Son accomplishes salvation, and the Spirit whom the Son pours out and is the promise of the Father, the Spirit applies salvation. In other words, baptism is reformed. Baptism is a visual parable of reformed theology. It says faith and repentance are entirely by the sovereign grace of the triune God. So if you are hoping to see salvation begin in someone, it can only come by the grace of the triune God. It can only come by the initiative of the Father and the atonement and righteousness of the Son applied by the powerful working of God the Holy Spirit. And so whenever he adds to his church and he uses that water baptism as the sign by which those who are in the church are marked off from those who are outside the church, he is attesting to us whether we are seeing it in someone else and we're not sure. We're like Paul asking them, or maybe we don't ask them, but we're asking God, did they receive the Holy Spirit, Lord, when they believed? And yet we know where salvation comes from. And we ask the Father for the grace of the Son to be applied to them by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
This is true for ourselves. How often have you wondered about your own salvation, dear Christian? You're not thinking like a Christian should. You certainly don't feel like you know a Christian should feel, let alone desire or behave or the things you take pleasure in or prioritize. And Jesus has given you the sign by which you were set apart into his church that doesn't point you back to a decision moment. Oh, I think I really meant it on that day and I have the sticker in my Bible. No, he points you to heaven, doesn't he? Where is seated the Son at the right hand of the Father who pours out his Spirit? And if there was never any salvation in you until this moment, there is still salvation in him, which is freely offered. He doesn't say, if you get the Spirit, repent. No, he says, repent and be baptized so that when you do repent, you'll know it was I who gave it to you. So not only if you see, hope to see salvation begun in someone, you know that it is only by the grace of the triune God. And praise God for Christian baptism of infants and not dedications. Dedications are misery. Dedications are not. This child has been set apart into the church and, and the, the, the triune seal of the sovereign work of the grace of God who has claimed the child for himself gives you this sign so that as you imperfectly and miserably imperfectly at times use his means on his child, you will be directed to his grace who is the one who marked them. Christian dedication is, I know I owe it to you, God. This one's mine. You can have them. Everything that's mine is yours. No. If you hope to see salvation to begin in someone, Christian baptism says it will only be by the grace of the triune God. If you see salvation that has begun, what does Christian baptism tell you about where it came from? This is why or one of the reasons when the Lord is helping us, dear children, that we're so excited when we see you, yes, recognizing your sin, and we're glad for conviction of sin, but when we see you finding comfort in the person and work of Jesus, when we see you grieved over your sin and we remind you of Jesus having paid for all of the sin of everyone who would ever believe in him on the cross. And we see the relief come over your face. Or the joy shine through the tears in your eyes. It's not because we think, whew, all that stuff I did finally came to work. And it's not because, you know, we're so proud of you. We're saying, oh, she sure is a block off the old chip. It's because your baptism tells us where the genuine repentance and faith comes from. That the God who made the promise and who assigned you to our house and so far in us, from us, 
what being in our house means is that, well, us meaning the dads, is that you're a sinner and you're guilty like we are and you're wicked like we are. But he brought us to himself and in bringing us to himself, he counted you as his and he made these promises about what he would do even through our very inadequate use of his means. And when we see him use the means and bless the means, we say, God has done this. This started in the decree where the Father chose in the Son that you would be holy and blameless in love. And this was accomplished by the Son who lived the perfect life and died the atoning death and rose again from the dead so that you might not just be united to Him in part of the work that He does, but that when you believe into Him, when His Spirit, who is the true baptism, whom He pours out, joins you to Him, He joins you to every part of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And if you are rejoicing over salvation that has begun, then you also know how it will be completed. You see, we never stop learning from applying, receiving the grace of our Christian baptisms in this life, do we? Because we're in continual need of that grace. And Christian baptism is the key, or part of the key, to strengthening the confidence in Philippians 1.6. What does the apostle say there? Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you. Well, what is one of the great ways that God says he is the one who began the good work in you? Well, the water baptism in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit that attests to you that the real and true baptism is Jesus pouring out his spirit to begin the good work in you. Being confident of this very thing that he who began the good work in you will do what? Will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. And what is one of the great things that he has given to attest to you that what he will begun, he will complete and bring to completion in the day of Christ Jesus? Water baptism that says teaching them to keep all that I have commanded and I will be with you even to the end of the age. And so what happens? Paul gives them this lesson and they hear this. They're baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. We've already uh, explained why it says that although the words that are spoken are almost certainly in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. There are three displays here of the reality of the Spirit giving repentance, giving life. The first display, of course, is the water baptism in verse 5. It's something that Jesus had commanded. It's uh, even then, at that point, a historical reminder 
that the reason this water baptism is being done is because Jesus, to whom the church belongs, has commanded it because it is upon him that the church depends. So John had baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying you needed it. Uh, And John had said, what you need, what you hear that you need from me, you will receive from him. And so they hear this, and they're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. But they don't just receive water baptism, they receive a display of spirit baptism. And this isn't necessarily their conversion. They might actually have been converted before this. You know, it's not the moment of Pentecost, is it, when the apostles are converted. The knowledge that Jesus Christ is uh, is the Son of God was something that had been given from the Father by the Spirit to Peter even during Jesus' ministry. But they do receive this visible display of the fact that they have spirit baptism. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. They receive something that is a showing forth of the life of the Spirit in them or on them. Theirs is immediately shown by tongues and prophecy. Now, we don't get up and speak in tongues, do we? Which, by the way, it doesn't function as an unquestionable demonstration that someone has the Holy Spirit if it's something you can fake. If it's just gibberish, if it's something that you can fake, then it can't function as what it is in Acts chapter 2 and what it is in Acts chapter 10 and what it is in Acts chapter 19. A visible display that the Holy Spirit genuinely has come upon them. But if I can babble like an idiot while pretending to be holy, and we call that tongues, it doesn't function as an unquestionable display that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Does it? But now if I start speaking in a language that I've never studied, and what I'm speaking is the truth about Jesus as God the Son, the, the, the second person of the triune God, who became flesh to save us. That does. You know what else does? A life that is full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. A life in which sin is being put off and righteousness is being put on. A life in which You love the Lord your God with increasingly more and more all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself and your brother as Christ loved you. These are no less of a demonstration of the Holy Spirit and His power than tongues and prophecy. You see what he's saying here in verse uh, verse 7. Now, the men were about 12 in all. Why is that significant? Well, that's significant because 
the Holy Spirit falling upon 12 men who speak in tongues. What's he saying? He's saying that whenever repentance and faith are given to believers who are being assembled into a church, the same power and grace and mercy as Pentecost is being poured out from heaven. People say, oh, that we would have another Pentecost. And what they mean is that they would hear religious gibberish. But we say, oh, that we would have another Pentecost. That God the Holy Spirit would give repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And that we would know that the word has come not merely in the letter and in the exercises of a man speaking and explaining things and people hearing and agreeing, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the people depend upon Jesus Christ as all of their righteousness and all of their forgiveness. And they more and more live, think, speak, feel, desire, delight, act like Jesus Christ in their lives. So dear believer, live, live as a response to your baptism that where you see the need for repentance and faith, you look to Christ that by His Spirit you'd have repentance and faith. And where you see that there is begun repentance and faith, you praise Christ who by His Spirit has given that repentance and faith. And as you look to see repentance and faith perfected, you depend upon Christ who by His Spirit perfects repentance and faith. How do we do this? Well, by using His means. He has filled His, He has filled our worship, our private worship, our family worship, our public worship with the means of His grace. But they are only means. If you believe that Jesus by His Spirit does the work, then do what Jesus says to do. But if you believe that it's Jesus by His Spirit who does the work, then don't think that it's the doing of what He says to do that will produce the fruit. It is the triune God working in our lives. What does your Christian baptism say? It says your whole life is a dependence upon God the Father and God the Son by the work of God the Holy Spirit. And if you are not living that way, then you are actually living in opposition to your baptism. And you may have a Christian come and say, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Let's pray. We thank you, Father, that you have given us your Son to be our prophet, priest, and king. And we ask that by Your Spirit, by His Spirit, whom He has poured out, that You would give faith where it is not, that You would receive credit for faith where it is, and that You would perfect faith in the day of Christ Jesus.
In his name we ask it. Amen.